Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. As we come together today, I want to question, I want to pose to you and be thinking about them. Take your bulletin if you want to write them down, share them with me afterwards. I'm going to actually have this as an icebreaker question in your small group. So if you're part of a small group, you can be ready for your home, at your homework before small group tonight or whenever your group meets. Um, Here's the question. What have been the five most influential books that you've ever read? And the Bible's one of them, okay, it's like bingo in the middle, put Bible in there, so you got four more. What have been the most influential books that you have read? Now, I didn't say inspiring books, entertaining books. There's inspirational books and there's entertaining books, and they may be really good and they may be bestsellers. But when I say influential, I'm talking about something that shapes you, something that you just your life around, something that you read and you say, I'm not going back to where I was before I read what I just read. What has been... The five most influential books. Now, I say that to you as a, as a, as a self-confessed uh, dyslexic. Whenever I graduated from high school, I graduated 12th grade, obviously, with a fifth grade reading uh, level. With a fifth grade reading level, you can't even read the local newspaper because it's written at a sixth grade reading level. And so at that point, I'm like, I don't want to read. I don't ever, I've never, I haven't even read a book in my life. At that point, I had actually read one book by the time I'd graduated outside of uh, Green Eggs and Ham or something like that. But, but really reading a book and really devouring a book. It was just not something I wanted to do. And I had this older pastor put his arm around me and he said, as you're going into the ministry, Mike, you're going to have to learn two things. You're going to have to learn to like to learn and you're going to have to learn to like to read. And I can say to this day, it's still a struggle for me. I still read in comprehension. I still have to sometimes read out loud to myself just to make sure I'm hearing what I'm reading and, and so forth. But I have become an avid reader. I don't go anywhere because of Kindle and things like that. I don't go anywhere without a book or several books that I'm reading. And so what five influential books? If I was to make my list out, I don't know that this would make the top five. I don't know that it would make the top 10, but it would certainly be in the running. It would certainly be in the running for that. Uh, so I graduated from uh, from uh, from high school and college, and and was starting my master's work, and ha- had a wife and a kid, and and a full time uh, pastoring at my second church, and a, a business leader, thinker, a leader, member of our church came up to me and said, "Mike, you've got to read this book," and handed me Seven Habits of Effective People, highly effective people. Now, probably many of you have read it. It's a classic. It's been out for a long time. It was one of those that I started to read. It's like, okay, this is too much. I've got other stuff to read. But I have over the years have read it and have gone back to it and gone back to it and gone back to it, looking at those seven habits. Now, maybe you've read it yourself, but the first habit that is mentioned in the book is be proactive. Don't be the person who's on the sideline waiting for the world to come to you. Be a self-starter. Get in there to own your space in this world. Be proactive. But the one that really caught me, the one that probably uh, really affected me, again, I talked about influential books, was begin with the end in mind, habit number two. Beginning with the end in mind. Where I would live my life with a picture of the end of my life and I would live and build out a roadmap in my life to get to the end of my life so that I would look back on my life and say, yes, that was a good life. 
That's how I interpret it. That's how I've applied it. That's why I've looked at my life at different seasons and say, at the end of this, where do I want to be? Beginning with the end in mind. One of the things I hope that whenever I get to the end of my life, I will live out the parable of Jesus when he tells the story of the, of the talents, when he goes and he gives to different people different talents, different amounts of talents, just like he gives all of us a different life, a different kind of life, different skill sets in life. But the difference is, is that what you do with what God gives you. None of us know if we're going to have 65 years or we're going to have 55 or 45 years, but you have what you have now. What are you doing with what you have? And are you living with the end in mind? So Jesus tells the parable of the talents and he comes back as the, the steward of the parable, as the steward of the, uh, of the talents. And he says, Hey, what did you do with what I gave you? Some people sadly wasted their talents or their life. Some invested him and made a little profit. Others invested him and made a big profit. But what does Jesus say at the end of that parable that kind of is that statement that I hope that when I die and cross the finish line of life, I hope God will say this to Mike McDaniel. It is this statement. Well done, good and faithful servant. I hope at the end of my life that the sum total of my life, whether I'm this or that, or I've achieved this or that, means not so much as that God looks on my life and he said, Mike, well done, my good and my faithful servant. Two of the manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit is good and is faithful. We looked at good a few weeks ago, or last week even, and we looking at faithfulness today. And so whenever you think about this, that literally what God is wanting to see in our lives at the end of our life is he's wanting to see the fruit of the Spirit. One of the measures of the quality of our life will be, do we measure and exude and manifest the fruit of the Spirit? Does goodness mark our life? Does faithfulness mark our life? Now, I'm not going to go back and reshare all of these because we've talked about them. But each one of them has its own little nuance. Love, extreme love, joy, not just any kind of joy, but a sustained joy through life, through the seasons, through the, the, the storms that we might, that we might face. Peace, saturated peace that starts with a relationship with God and moves to a relationship uh, with others. And right in the middle is finding peace with ourselves. Patience, not just any kind of patience, but a gritty patience, a patience that's going to stay in the fight, a patience that's not going to throw in the towel. And it's so easy in our cancel culture, in our quitting, leaving, walking away culture, in this culture of the great resignation culture, whenever things get tough, it's always easier to jump ship. It's always easier to cancel somebody. Instead of extending to them a gritty kind of patience that stays in there. When I talk about gritty kind of patience, I think of even about our own own family. You might look at our family on Facebook or you might watch our family walk through the church uh, uh, building and you might go, oh, that's the pastor's family and and they are here up there. I want to be like them. You got to realize we have not been without our storms. I can remember a time whenever one of our, one of our children, and I've asked all of our children if I could share this today, and they all said yes. One of our, one of our, one of our children was suffering from a, a, a sickness that we had no clue, no doctor in Northwest Arkansas could pinpoint what that was. 
And in fact, we had to go to a specialty hospital over and to find that she had something that only about 3% of people have. But it was one of those that we were literally watching her life slip from her. We had to deal with that as a, as, as, as a family. And how do you deal with that? You get in with a steadfastness and a forbearance. I can remember one of our kids struggling with being bullied at school. Bullied so badly that we had to make the decision, does this, I wanted, I wanted to go down and beat up some kids, but I figured I'd end up in jail for that. But, but the, uh, the, uh, we had to figure out what are we going to do in this situation? What's best for our child in this situation to thrive in this world? We had to make some hard decisions. Remember one of our children saying that they had struggled with a porn addiction that we didn't even know about. Remember, there's a time in Lori and I's marriage when she struggled to trust me. A time in Lori and I's marriage when I felt like for 15 years of our marriage that there was an emotional wall up that I didn't know if I was going to get on that. I didn't even know the wall was there for the first 15 years. And all of a sudden, the wall came down, and all of a sudden, we connected at a level that we've never connected at before. It's like, what, 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 where, what, why was the wall there? I say all that just to say, at any point along the way, it's easier to throw in the towel. It's easier to quit. But quitting is not necessarily what God calls us to. He calls us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of God, and even if it's your family. Kindness, we talked about kindness last week. Kindness is not just, hey, I'm going to look past the wrong Kindness is you're going to step into the space of whatever's going on in that person's life. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to have the hard conversations. Some people think if you have a hard conversation, you're being unkind. Actually, if you don't have the conversation, the hard conversation, you might be enabling them and that is unkind. They may be living a false narrative and you may be letting them live the false narrative by just simply affirming that false narrative. So please, kindness is not just not having a hard conversation. Kindness may be a hard conversation. Kindness is doing whatever that person needs in the space that they need it in a manner that they need it. Goodness is a manifestation, that integrated goodness where it saturates who we are. One of the most unstudied, unlooked at persons of the New Testament, yet he's one of the most influential persons of the New Testament, is a guy by the name of Barnabas. That wasn't even his name. That wasn't even his name, but he was nicknamed that. Because he was called the son of encouragement. Barnabas means the son of encouragement. He was such an encourager. And I can't tell his story. It's not what the message is about. But this is the way the scriptures describe Barnabas in Acts chapter 11, verse 24. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit. You cannot separate out goodness from the Holy Spirit. Kindness from the Holy Spirit. Peace, joy, love. You can't separate those out from the Holy Spirit. So let's understand them in light of the context of Galatians chapter 5, where we've been for several weeks now. This is what it says in verse 22. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. I want us to integrate into our our understanding of the fruit of the Spirit today by understanding faithfulness, by understanding the unswerving, un, very consistent faithfulness 
The, un, the, 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 the faithfulness that if you were to put synonyms with the word faithfulness, you might put dependable, reliable, consistent, solid, steady, trustworthy. Somebody who's been proven under pressure. Because again, we live in a culture where we jump and run. We, we live in a culture where we cancel things that we don't like. Listen, I am less impressed today with bursts of light, with fads and fashions, with flashes of people and churches and movements, because here's what I see so many times in, in these, these things that do not get tested in, in time, is I see things go up like rockets, but they come down like rocks. In fact, I'll say it like this, that I am less impressed with the fads of, of our day, I'm in the trends of our day, in the coolness factor of our day. I'm, I'm less impressed by that. In fact, yeah, I, I even want to tell hipsters sometimes that they're, they're, they're trending even though they're a hipster. And so the reality is, is that there's so much going on out there. What, what I am most impressed with is somebody or something that has lasted through the seasons, that has gone the distance. It's lived through winter, summer, spring, and fall. And they're still in the play. They're still in the game. I've often referred to Eugene Peterson as a pastor who has pastored me through the years. But he wrote a book, and I read it whenever I was actually, uh, Lori and I were climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. It's the Songs of Ascent from, from the book of Psalms. And it, the, the title of the book is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction where he literally studies through the song of ascents and, and, and how they're climbing up and how they're going up. And so, but I love the title. The title is worth buying the book and just putting it on the shelf. A long obedience in the same direction. Faithfulness, something that's going to endure and stick in there. The problem is, is not problem. It's the reality is he actually, Eugene Peterson got the quote from a guy named Frederick Nietzsche who was an atheist of all things. But this is where Nietzsche makes his statement. He says, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. There, thereby results has always resulted in long, the long run. Something that has made life worth living. Whenever you stay in it and you fight for it and you persevere in it and you're steadfast, that is a beautiful thing. When you are faithful through whatever you're going through, that is a beautiful thing. And that is a manifestation of, I believe, the Spirit of God working in us. We live in this swipe right, job jump, church hop world. As soon as I don't like something, I leave. I quit. I walk away. And it's painful. And it's not just when I talking in generalities, New York Post, New York Times both have written articles on what's called starter marriages. I don't know if you've heard of that. Starter marriages. You've heard of starter home, but there's literally the divorce rate is so great in our land, people walking away from their marriages that they're labeling now early years of marriage starter marriages. 
When I say walking away, and, and of course, census data does not call it starter marriages, but just listen to this. The Census Bureau, from 1962 to 1992, divorce rates between 25-year-olds and 29-year-olds has gone up fivefold. Again, getting into something and realizing it's not what you thought it was, it's, it's not what they thought it was, and you back out of it and you walk away from it. And what we need is faithfulness, dependability, consistency, a staying power whenever we want to walk away. Whenever I think about Moses and the story of Moses in his life and, and how his, how he lived out his life and, and how he helped lead the people out of slavery. He led them into the, into the wilderness and for 40 years, can you imagine the number of times he wanted to quit? Just read the first five books of the Bible, especially the last, the first four uh, books after Genesis and you'll read and the, the, the desire to quit and to walk away was there. And, and he writes Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy is this second duo, meaning law, duo, the second law, because he had to write the second law, because Exodus, the first law, was for the first generation, and he repeats it for the second generation after 40 years. And this is what he says about the faithfulness of God. In one of the oldest poems of the Bible, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord, Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. What what Moses was saying was like, listen, guys, there's been a lot of changes. We were in slavery. We came out of slavery. We were in the wilderness. We were stuck in the wilderness. Your parents have died and gone on, and we felt like quitting. I felt like quitting you guys. But here's one of the things I've learned. God is a rock. In the midst of it all, his work is perfect, a God of faithfulness. When I talk about the fruit of the Spirit, I'm not talking about you just having these nine qualities in your life. I'm literally talking about the the work of God happening in us, His character becoming a part of us, and that we take on His likeness. We become like Him. Well, what is God like? He is faithful. He's a rock. David was called to be uh, the king. But he had this sinister successor, this sinister guy in front of him named Saul who wouldn't step down from the throne and did everything he could to kill David. And David wrote this. He says, the Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness. See, what David experienced, what Moses experienced, what we should experience is this faithfulness of God, this consistency, this dependability, this steadiness that we need to have in us. We get it because we've seen it in God. Another time that is just beautiful where we see the faithfulness of God is in Israel's darkest, darkest hour. They're a nation, they've got a country, they've got a land, they've got a temple, they've, they've got everything going for them. And then the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and then the Persians, they all come in and they ransack them. And during the time of the Babylonian exile, they literally tear down the city of Jerusalem. They burn down the temple. They take all the spoils of the temple, take it back to Babylon. And now become a part of a pagan ritual in Babylon. They take the brains of of Israel. They take them back, make them slaves to the people of Babylon. And there's only a remnant left behind. 
And who's left in the midst of the remnant but a guy named Jeremiah called a weeping prophet. Why is he called the weeping prophet? For a lot of reasons, read Jeremiah and you'll find that out. But you'll also find that he's the only guy that wrote a book in the Bible called Cry or Lament or Mourn. It's the book of Lamentations. It's a beautiful book, although when you jump into it, you'll think this is the darkest book ever. It's a chiastic poem that really does this. It starts in darkness. It's all the way in darkness, but it climbs to this crescendo and then it climbs back down into the darkness. But the point of the entire book of Lamentations, everything before, everything at the backside is what happens in chapter three. What he records in chapter three is the only reason Lamentations is written. This is what it says. This I call to mind and therefore I have hope. I don't care what dark hole you're climbing out of right now, but I pray today that you will find hope. Where do I find hope? The steadfast love of the Lord. It never ceases. His mercies. They never come to an end. They are new every morning. Think about that. It's like fresh bread from God, fresh bread from heaven. How did I make it through today? I don't know how you made it through today. It was the mercies of God. How will I make it through tomorrow? I don't know how you're going to make it through tomorrow, but I'll tell you this, it will be the mercies of God. They're new every morning. I want you to say that last statement with me. Great is your faithfulness. When I say that the fruit of the spirit is faithfulness, I'm talking about just like God was faithful to the slaves of Israel and to the wilderness wandering of Israel and to the David, a king who had been anointed, but yet he could not ascend to the throne to, to, to the, to the people of Israel when they were in the darkest hours of their life, just like God was faithful. Then he is faithful now. He's faithful to you. He's faithful to me. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is dependable. He is reliable. He is consistent. He is trustworthy. He is steady. He is there. My question to us, are we the same to others? Because the fruit of the Spirit is not just that God is that to us, but that we will be that to others. You might have heard us talk about, me talk about before, 2 a.m. friends. A 2 a.m. friend is a person that you can call at 2 a.m. and they'll be there for you at 2 a.m. I have some 2 p.m. friends, but I promise you, the list gets really small for the 2 a.m. friends. In fact, sometimes you don't even know you have a 2 a.m. friend until 2 a.m. friend emergency 911 comes. And then you really find out, did you have a 2 a.m. friend? See, faithfulness is dependable, reliable, consistent, solid, steady. It's interesting what happens when people talk about faithfulness. I'm faithful with my taxes. I'm faithful uh, with paying my bills. I'm faithful on the job. But when it really gets dark, It's incredible what happens. I've heard this happen more times than I even care to share. A couple goes through a divorce and just like they divide up the the money, they divide up the house, they divide up the pets, they divide up the kids. So many times friends get divided and you don't know who is going to be there for you. It gets real messy whenever you 
I was talking to a, a former officer at a company you might know in the area, I will not name it, um, who experienced an incredible vacuum on friends whenever they were in their high influential position they had people that would text them, check in on them, want to know about their family, uh, would want to go grab a beer afterwards, would want to hang out, uh, would just try to build relationship with them. And as soon as they were given not a cake but a box on the job and walked out the door, this officer told me, he said, I don't get any more text. All my friends that wanted to have a beer with me, I don't know who they are. Faithfulness. Our God is faithful in our darkest hours. Will we be faithful in people's darkest hours? You won't know faithfulness until you've experienced it, felt it in those long seasons of life. On the eve of Christmas, on the eve of Valentine's Day that it is, I'm reminded of a story that I read about one day where a couple had been married for 50 plus years. And the spouse, the wife died and the husband was talking to the daughter about the love that he had for his wife that he no longer could share with her. And the words are so piercing and so real about love. Love itself, what is left over when, is, is what left over when being in love has burned away. Think about that. Being in love has burned away. That's what love is. Is what's left over when feeling being in love has burned away. And this is both an art and a fortunate accident. Your mother and I had it. We had roots that grew towards each other underground. And when all the pretty blossoms had fallen from our branches, we found that we were one tree and not two. Faithfulness. I don't get impressed with fads and trends. I get impressed with faithfulness. Number number eight is humble gentleness. Humble gentleness. These word combinations, I'm trying to, to amplify, if you will, the word that is mentioned there, because it's just mentioned goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. But this word gentleness is actually sometimes translated meekness. Sometimes it's translated humility. In fact, if you have the King James Version Bible, it probably says meekness. It sounds like weakness, doesn't it? When I think of meekness I or humility, sometimes I think of somebody with bad posture and their hands are just kind of, they're just kind of knit, knit together and they just kind of walk around and you can kind of push on them and they'll fall over. You can take advantage of them. When I think about gentleness, I think about somebody who can be taken advantage of. Meekness does not mean weakness. In fact, when you look back at Moses, this is what was said of him in Numbers 12. He says, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. So if if standardization of what meekness is, look at Moses. He was far from weak. I mean, the guy kills somebody, murders him, buries him in the sand. The guy comes down from seeing, from meeting with God and he sees that they made a golden calf. And what does he do? He takes that golden calf, melts it down, burns all the, all the idolatry that's going on in the land. He was far from weak. He stood up sometimes to a fault. So what is this gentle 
this humble gentleness that I speak of. Think about it like this. When you go back and you look at the fruit of the spirit, kindness and goodness and gentleness. Just when you take kindness and goodness and gentleness, just as a quick review, kindness points to the actions, what I do. Am I going to be kind to somebody? Am I going to extend with generosity some, to somebody? Am I going to give my time and talents and treasures to, to, to a cause to somebody? Because I'm going to be kind. Goodness is character. That's, that's who I am. Gentleness is attitude. That's how I do what I do. This, this gentleness is how I approach the, the, the hard situation that I'm coming up on. And this is what Peter says about it in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 4. It's the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. It's the how I get things done. It's the how I show kindness. It's how I do it. Do I approach it with a gentle humility? Do I have an attitude about me that is, that is arrogant and brash or is it, is it humble and gentle? Because there's a way that I approach that situation. It's going to be so important. Think about David whenever he's talking about the gentleness of God. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along in the right paths. And his rod and his staff, they comfort me. There are times that in our life we need a rod. There are times in our life that we need a staff. But whenever God applies the rod and staff, there's something about the way God, the attitude about God, the way he approaches it. We just know at the end of the day that what God is doing, it's the right thing. It's the good thing. The people around you sense and smell and taste your humble gentleness. Um, it was said of Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle. I am meek. What does that mean? Jesus was one who is, I'm afraid today, hear me out, hear me out. If Jesus were alive today, doing ministry among people today, I'm afraid Jesus would be considered woke. And before you throw up in your mouth, hear me out. I don't care if it's politically correct or not. Jesus had a side about him that he would look past political correctness to do whatever it took to cross racial lines, socioeconomic lines, the different lines that are out there. And he, he was more concerned about the person than he was the politics. He meets the Samaritan woman. Think about it. People don't go to Samaria if you're a Jew. There was a, call it a, a, a border wall that literally if you were in the north, you would go south, but you wouldn't go south through Samaria. You would actually go around Samaria because nobody wants to go through Samaria. You would literally intentionally go further around than, than to go through Samaria. But I like the way the King James puts it. I must needs go through Samaria. Jesus went to Samaria, met this woman at the well, which you don't talk to women. If you're a Jew, you don't talk to Samaritans. There's so many no-nos that he is breaking, but he steps into her life, into her story, and he loves her. 
in all of the differences and all the political incorrectness. He loves her and he embraces her. And what does she do? She goes back to her village and she says this, he told me all that I ever did. He told me all that I ever did. Now that doesn't, unless you read the story in John chapter four, you'll miss it. But this is my amplified version of what that means. He knew me and all my checkered past. He knew my broken present, but he didn't leverage my past or my present to beat me down. He accepted me where I was. He called me up out into a better life. He, he talked about my past and he unpacked my past and my present. And he loved me through it. I'm going the Jesus way. Who wants to go with me? Because what she does next is she invites her entire village back. What does, what happens then? Verse 40. And when the Samaritan came to, to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed for two days. It wasn't a quick trip in and out. He had to get out before sundown. He actually stayed once, stayed twice. And what happens? And more believed because of his word. I could tell you about the Syrophoenician woman, a Greek woman that wouldn't even be qualified for the crumbs of the table. But Jesus went out of his way to make sure not only do you get the crumbs, I'm going to send you home with a miracle for your daughter. When I say Jesus is woke, I don't know what your definition is, but I'll say this. He is incredibly compassionate. I don't care who you are. He's incredibly gentle. I don't care where you stand. He had a posture and approach. That's really what humble gentleness is. A posture and approach. Jesus models it whenever he comes and he cares for you and I. Philippians chapter two, verse six to nine. He said, through, uh, though he in the form of God did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. That's the posture. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of a man and being found in the human form, he humbled himself. Again, continuation of the posture. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He did whatever it took to meet our needs. There was a humble gentleness about Jesus. And we're called to do the same. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brothers, if any of you is caught in transgressions, you who are spiritual should go and restore him. In a spirit of gentleness, that's our approach. Keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. That's our posture of humility. We too could fall next. I'll tell you the story of a person who fell in a pit. And there's basically four people that this person in the pit encounters. First one just walks straight by. They're so busy, they got their ear pods in. They don't have time. They even pay attention if they did have the attention. They just move right on. That's the first person. The second person walks up there, looks at them in the pit, says, what are you in the pit for? What puts you in the pit? Well, you deserve what you got. You're your own problem. And kind of lectures them for being in the pit. And then there's the person who comes up. Now, I like this person who throws down a rope to the person in the pit. And tries to help pull them out of the pit. I like that person. But the fourth person is the person who comes up with a rope, 
throws it down, and then climbs down in the pit and helps to get them out of the pit with them. When I look at Jesus, Jesus is the person who not only threw down a rope, but he crawled down that rope to help pull us out of the pit. When I talk about faithfulness, something that goes the distance, something that can't be shaken no matter the season of life. Easy to quit. Everybody can quit. Go quit something. Or you can have perseverance, faithfulness through whatever season it is. But I pray as you're in that, we'll also practice a humble gentleness just like Jesus did that Samaritan woman, that Syrophoenician woman, just like he does you and me. Would you bow your heads with me? Who in your life right now needs a humble gentleness from you? Who doesn't need them to just ignore them, doesn't need to walk by and be busy about life, who doesn't need to be told why they're in the pit and lectured about being in the pit, who doesn't need somebody just to throw a rope down, but literally needs you to crawl down in the pit with them and help them out. Who, Who comes to your mind? What would that look like this week if the fruit of the Spirit that manifests in you you this week was you crawling into the pit with somebody else? It's messy, it's dark, it's cold, it's difficult, it's not easy. It's exactly what Jesus does, exactly what God the Father did when they were slaves in, in Egypt, exactly what God does whenever we're, when our life is burned down and broken. It's exactly what we, full of the Holy Spirit of God, are to do with the people in our world. Father God, help us to live full of your Spirit. Manifesting a faithfulness through the seasons the good, the bad, and the ugly seasons. Manifesting, Lord, out of us a humble gentleness that we are willing to get into people's messes. May your spirit pour out on us and may your spirit flow through us. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at GracePointNWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.